This is a shock podcast. Shock. The C word with Callista. So content is a thing that's constantly changing and changing fast. What we used to like pre-pandemic is completely different to what we consume two years later. And the entertainment industry is a place where if you blink too slowly, you can barely keep up. It's not an industry where everyone can have longevity, but one person I know definitely has. I can't believe I get to say she's my colleague, but I really do see her in the hallways every single day after she finishes the breakfast show on Mix FM. Aisha Sinclair, welcome to the C Word. Hi, hi, Calista. Thank you so much for having me. I have been a fan of your show. I think what you're doing is really great, Calista. Um, and the people that you've been talking to. So I'm glad I got an invite. Honestly, when we we first talked about having you on the show, the only question that I could think of was, how does one become Aisha Sinclair? Because you've been doing so many things for so long and are still like at the top of your game. Wow, thank you. But yes, I've been doing this forever, <laughs> right? So I just had a realization that at the end of this year, it will be eight years with a mixed breakfast. And I still see myself as the baby because when I first joined, I was newbie to radio. I've been doing radio for eight years now. So fast. You started with hosting, right? But on TV. Yeah. So I started doing commercials when I was 18, back in 1998. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went off to uni, but I really started hosting. So my first hosting gig was actually with Astro Rhea. And it was a show about Pilates, right? At that time, Pilates was still very new. Everybody knew about yoga, but not so much Pilates. And I was just like the host. And there was uh, an expert. There was an instructor. And it was just 13 episodes of that. And that was, I think, in 2003, 2004, maybe? Astro Rhea, wasn't that in Malay? Yes. You started hosting in Malay? (laughs) What? I know. I know I did. I wasn't so great at it, but... Thankfully, at that time, I realized I had a very good skill of short-term memory. So I would have fun. I would actually memorize. I'd look at the script. I'd memorize it. And I just, I had a good skill at just regurgitating. Maybe it's the years spent in government school. But I was good at regurgitating information. And yeah, it seemed to work. We did 13 episodes. Mm -hmm. I never knew you'd hosted in Malay before. I haven't done it much, actually. I've only maybe done two shows or three shows but I was very quick to realize it's not my strength Mm. and I sounded horrible and I did try I did try to really work on my bahasa to try and make it as fluent I mean I can have conversational BM Mm. Um, you know I went to government school I went to uni here in Malaysia too so speaking Malay is not the issue but suddenly I just found myself with a mental block that I just could not have a decent conversation in BM if a camera was on, for instance. I totally get that because I get the question all the time, like, why don't I host in Mandarin? Because I speak fluent Mandarin, right? I'm Chinese educated, everything. But I just can't host in in, in Mandarin. Like, I get on stage and I'm just like blank. It's like I don't know the language at all. Why are you Chinese educated? I'm Chinese educated, I did not know that, Calista. (laughs) Yeah. So there you go, same thing. Because when I went to primary and secondary, it was all in Bahasa too, you know? So, I mean, clearly we can understand. I read that you went to UITM as well, right? Yes, I did. I spent three years in UITM in mass communications, majoring in PR. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, you majored in PR but ended up in broadcasting. Yes. So, I actually worked in PR for a year. How this whole thing happened, so I started doing commercials first, right? So, and I started doing commercials because my older brother was doing commercials. And he was like, hey, look, I'm going for a casting. Do you want to follow? And a few times and I went and I got to know people in the casting houses. So, 
you know, I not long after that got my first advert. Mm-hmm. But so in the late 90s, the pan-Asian look was all the rave. Mm-hmm. But they had very specific looks that they wanted. So yeah. I was never one of them. So I think I've only done less than 10 commercials. So it wasn't that great. But I had friends who were in the industry who were... Every other week they were shooting something. Mm -hmm. And then I decided that, you know what, maybe this life in front of the camera is not for me. Maybe I'm best behind the camera. Maybe I'm going to do PR. So that's why I did MassCom. I worked in PR for a year after I graduated. But unfortunately, in my first few months, also I decided that, I can't be working behind a desk. This is not me. Mm -hmm. I knew deep down inside that, you know, it was just not suited for me. I felt a bit, you know, trapped for the lack of a better word. And then I... uh, got called up from somebody who used to uh, work in a casting house. So okay. that, hey, look, you know, we've got this show. We need fresh faces. Hey, you know what? There's this girl, Aisha Sinclair. Why don't we give her a call? And they passed my number to the producer. And then I eventually got the job. But this happened right when I was in between jobs. So I just left the PR company I, I was working for. And I was actively going for interviews I'd interviewed with a hotel and was actually offered the oh. job yeah, to work in their PR team. And I, I actually interviewed with a consultancy firm. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they're similar to Headhunters last. So they specialize in trying to play, you know, placement. So mm-hmm. they look at you, they look at what you're good at. And then they say, OK, you're good in this industry. You're good in that one. And as I was sitting down talking to this lady and I was interviewing for a position in the company she works with and she said you know Aisha you know I do this for a living and I was telling her about this other opportunity which was I got called up for you know to to host a show and so she said you know Aisha I know I've just sat down and spoken to you for an hour or so but it really does look like that this may be something you'll be good at I'm like oh okay fine you think I'll be good at hosting I'll give it a try and I did and halfway through that show I decided, dude, people do this full time. They do this for a living. I could do this. I decided to do it. I had like one or two jobs after that, but I had many periods, Calista, where I was, like we're talking six months to eight months, almost a year of no jobs, Mm -hmm. like really small, maybe a small emceeing job here or a small appearance fee there, a guest on this show, but nothing concrete, nothing Mm -hmm. that was solid. And yeah, many a times I did feel like I was going to go back to PR and just give up. I feel like that's part of the entertainment industry we've all been through. But like, if you've never been in that position, you you don't see it. Mm-hmm. I feel like we all started with, oh, I don't know what to do. We all started doing something else. And then somehow kind of fell into this. Thought like, this is something I want to do. And then everything went dry. Yeah, right? As soon as you make that commitment, yeah. suddenly they challenge you and be like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> I went through that as well. Like, I I wanted to do the commercial thing. But like you said, the Pan-Asian look was in. But my comment was always, you look great in the commercial, but you're just too short. You don't match any of the the co-stars because Pan-Asian males are mostly very tall, you yeah. know, like, except for my brother because obviously he runs in the family. <laughs> um, but he had the same problem. Mm-hmm. So they always like, I really love your look, but if you have to stand or anything in the commercial, we can't use you. I know. It was very discouraging. And yeah. then I guess you were doing this also when you were in your teens and your early 20s. Uh, a little bit later for me because um, I mentioned this on the podcast before. I had a lot of issues with my documents 
at first because I wasn't I was like you I was born in the UK mm-hmm. but it took a long time for me to get my IC oh. so that's there's like a gap in in my life where mm-hmm. I was doing events but just because I couldn't go, go to uni because because you... I didn't have the documents I didn't have a, my IC came in very late so did you have um, a red IC or no they just told me no you 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 qualify for your your Malaysian IC but you just have to wait and it took them 10 years for wow. my IC to actually come through. So I was like stuck in limbo. I can't go and get my British passport because then it's sabot- like kind of... Yes, you know, sabotaging the chances the, of Malaysian. The Malaysian one. But I don't have the Malaysian one, so I can't do anything. Wow, Kalista, I didn't know that. Yeah, so for me, that was how I kind of fell into like events and mm. I used to have horrible stage fright and then when I was doing events I got we, we, we needed an MC and it was an emergency I had to go and do it I had no choice so that's how I got my start wow yeah so that's why I, whenever people ask me how I got into radio it's always a fluke because this was <laughs> never on the cards <laughs> <laughs> okay well then you and I are the same like that right mm-hmm. so I think we kind of foresaw a different journey for us where did you see yourself going though I mean what what did you so if people asked you so a younger Callista maybe about 15 years ago 10 years ago like what you wanted to do where did you see yourself I wanted to be in journalism like if I went to uni I would have taken mass communication but journalism yeah I actually wanted to do that too but then somebody said oh you might want to relook that. Oh no! Mm, I shall not divulge the reasons why, but yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe not enough freedom to mm. actually write what you want to write. That that's what I was given True. the feedback I was given in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. So that's why I chose PR because there was an element of writing too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like this industry is always about that though. Like you start somewhere, you fall into something else, and then along the way. All these different things come up. Like you wanted to do journalism, you ended up doing PR, then you were doing like commercials, then you started hosting in Malay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you went into acting as well, right? For a very, 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 very short while. No, acting was just like a, hey, got a role, do you know, try, yeah, okay. Did nah. I like it? <laughs> no, no. I started acting a bit later, but you're absolutely right though. It's because this this industry somewhat is so big you kind of do a bit of everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I don't think you can, especially in the English urban market, you know, Kalista, it is so small and people always imagine like, wow, you must be raking in the millions. No, No. you got to have multiple jobs at the same time. And then all of our exit strategies Mm -hmm. is a opening up your own production house and producing documentaries later on, or B starting off a company where you know, you can set it off when you're still famous and then, you know, hopefully that can take you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those inter- industries. So I, I kind of done a bit of everything also. Yeah, but I think that's that's like a great, even if you're not in the entertainment industry, I feel like that's great advice for anything. Like if hmm. an opportunity comes up, just try because you don't know what's, where it's going to take you, right? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, like right. even with acting, like, you tried if you don't like it you do once then that's it lie you know you don't have to do it again <laughs> no, it's not you to do it <laughs> I did, I tried it three times or three or four times actually so uh, acting was something that I did slightly later actually in the beginning what happened was so I think I joined the industry a bit late so I joined because I had done three years of uni mm-hmm. and then I worked for about a year and a bit so by the time I joined I think I was about 24 turning 25 and then I was already, I already had met my then boyfriend, now husband. Aww. And we were like engaged to be married. And then there was this one guy and he was quite, 
you know, famous in the industry. He is an executive producer. He produces a lot of shows. You know, he's like, he directed movies and things like that. And he actually said, hey, Aisha, do you mind uh, putting off your marriage, your wedding for another three years? And I'm like, why? And he said that, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but if you're a married woman in the industry, you're going to have no pull. You know, people are not going to be interested. It's going to be hard to sell you. Mm-hmm. And I was quite taken aback by that, especially if you want to be an actor. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure then if it's something for me. But I still did. I still tried to act a little bit, but I just didn't have the chops, honestly. It was because I had joined so late and there were so many of these younger actors who had such crazy talent and crazy skill and I would find myself at the set instead of being in character sitting back and looking at them and just enjoying mm-hmm. their performance right and I'm like oh maybe I'm better off being a the audience and just view the stuff they that came up with and so that's when I decided that acting was not a thing plus you know what this executive producer had said also you know it made me a bit worried maybe about the industry would they still take me on however I didn't receive that kind of feedback when I was doing the more urban English shows Mm. so that's when I just you know decided to okay maybe I'll just stick here and let this be my my market and my genre it's crazy that someone said that to your face Mm -hmm. um but At the same time, I feel like even now, even when people aren't telling you, people tell you by their likes and follows. So I've had a lot of people talk to me about this every time they post because obviously now a lot of my friends have been getting engaged and getting married. And every single time they post an engagement or or just a photo with their boyfriend and I've been in this situation. Immediate, it's an immediate effect. You see the graph on your like analytics, it, it drops. Yes. You get so many unfollows as soon as you post like a relationship photo. Wow. Yeah, I have heard also of, you know, people within the industry talk about, hey, you know what, try not to, especially if it's a female yes. um, talent, right? Oh, try not to post too many pictures of mm-hmm. your kids, please. People don't like yes. that. I have had, it happened to me, it happened to some of my friends when we were expecting, when we were pregnant, clients suddenly find out, whoa, you're pregnant. I'm like, yeah, you hired from me for an emceeing job. I can still talk. Mm-hmm. But then they were, I don't know if they were afraid that I'd fall off the stage and and injure myself. (laughs) But it just was seen, oh, undesirable. Why does a woman have to be desirable? You Mm -hmm. know, why can't she just be an amazing host? Why can't she just be hired because of her merit, because of what she's done? No, it's got to have that little attractiveness element to it. My followers on my Instagram and my social media, if you look at the demographics, they're all like 35, 30 and above women. (laughs) That is my follow. That's my viewership. I guess guys don't want to be following somebody else's wife. (laughs) Well, you would it like that. It kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, like you said, like, if I'm a host, why do I also have to be desirable? There are, there are, there Mm -hmm. are, you know, models or whatever, whatever for that. You know, like everybody has their niche, right? Like, we didn't sign on to be on radio to be like the hottest thing in the market because like we were talking just before we started recording, like a face for radio has been a thing for like forever. Like Mm -hmm. why now suddenly... It's a thing that you also have to be attractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not to say that we're not attractive, but like it, it shouldn't be like the main thing that you're looking at when you're hiring a host. Exactly. It's a prerequisite. It's like a sellability. You know, I'm sorry, I can't sell you. Yeah. But it's you, very confusing. <laughs> but you, I, I think you've been, you, you've done very well at like, like you said, your audience is your age group, female, and, mm-hmm. and, and people listen to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I've, I've looked up 
um, to you for because being respected and, and having people like value your opinion in this industry it's it's not easy no. I feel especially as a female like just a few years ago it was very 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 male dominated yeah how did you navigate that though so in the beginning especially when I started working with an ensemble so even on television Either my show had other co-hosts and we'll all take turns. So in the beginning, when we were younger, it was all about fun. It was all it was all okay. But later on, I joined this show and it was a morning talk show. And, you know, whenever I had a male co-host, mm-hmm. all of the finance topics were passed to them. Mm-hmm. And we handled the skincare, the beauty, the fashion, everything lifestyle. And... You know, I did notice a little bit of the discrimination happening then. I was like, okay, it's fine. So what I did was I just pushed for some of the harder stuff. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I can handle this. No worries. I can do it. And even when I first joined radio, I was very much aware. I mean, even within the company, a lot of the senior leadership were male. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the on-air talents at that time also were male. And I joined a team which had two very strong male announcers who had tons of experience, a lot of experience. So I think in the beginning, I struggled a little bit, stuff to find my footing. I was thinking that, okay, you know what? I want to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I want to, I don't want to be talked over. I don't want to be interrupted. My voice is not as loud as theirs. Even personality-wise, I'm mm-hmm. a lot more introverted. And, and that's not just a gender thing. That's just a me thing, you know? I was a lot more. If I'm ever pushed into a group and it's a very noisy, very loud group... I'm just perfectly happy sitting back, just listening. But And then suddenly it became my job. So I couldn't do that. So obviously you have to talk, right? You're paid to talk. In the beginning, I I thought I had to be as loud as them. Mm -hmm. I thought I had to be as, you know, know, make it as funny and make as many jokes, the same amount of jokes. I even even started dressing up more masculine because I didn't like, I wanted to be one of the boys. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is very normal for me because I have two brothers, older brother, younger brother. So I found myself in the same situation. And I was tired. Mm-hmm. I was burnt out because it takes a lot of energy to to try and be what you're not. My um, status quo, my, my, I was normally just a lot more relaxed and chilled. And I found myself, you know, shouting more, laughing more, being more rambunctious, not being who I am. I got really, really tired. And then a realization came maybe two years, a year and a bit, two years in that I had to find my voice. So we legit just made my mic louder. So I didn't have to speak louder, but I Mm -hmm. could still be heard. I didn't because I, I didn't project as well. And we legit make my mic louder. And then I just realized that, hey, look, you know what? I can just embrace my femininity mm-hmm. and use that as a way to really uh, be the, the balancing voice between these two male voices. And that seemed to work. And I got my airtime and I got my space. And then when I said stuff, they listened and then it became, oh, Aisha, the voice of reason. Aisha will be, you know, so whenever some crazy, you know, opinion was put out there, you could rely on me to to, to be the voice of reason. And then it, then it evolved a little bit more as we all grew with the show that, you know, I've come to a point where, yeah, my opinion matters and I have something to say and I'm very grateful that people listen too. So it was not an easy journey. Uh, Callista, nor was it a laid out path, nor was it like something that, okay, you know what, Callista, in in five years, I'm going to do this. In three years, I'm going to do this. I just fell into this. And I think maybe it's luck. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's perseverance. 
maybe it's just constantly looking in and saying, okay, this is not working. What can I do next? Okay, this is not working. How are you feeling? Checking in with myself and just being honest with my team, even management, even, um, you know, the bosses. I even had a moment when I sat down and I said, hey, look, this is causing me stress. I can't do it. And this continues. I can't be in this team. And, you know, there was just something that we were doing and it went on. And uh, yeah, I just got it out there. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I got to say what I really felt. And that helped too. I actually have a lot of questions I want to ask you about just that part. Mm. Um, I hope I can remember all of them. But first, I wanted to ask you, people listen to you now. People, people, you know, Aisha is the voice of reason. And I think that's everybody in this building also knows that, that, that dynamic that you have with your team, right? But have there ever been moments where you're like, nobody's hearing me? Like, I'm trying to tell you an opinion I have or a feeling I have, but nobody seems to be listening. How do you deal with situations like that? Yes, there have been moments like that. When I was younger, I thought that my opinion didn't matter. And then as I got to a certain age, and it's always 30 plus, right? Because <laughs> you get wiser, right? Obviously, thankfully. I've learned that the more I try to raise my voice mm -hmm. and talk louder, there's always somebody who's going to be louder. Mm -hmm. And they will talk more, talk louder, yell above you, not give you that space. So I just had to learn. If I found I wasn't being heard in a big group, I would usually then just go see the person who was, you know, asking for the opinion or something like that and say, hey, look, you know what? If I knew it wouldn't be heard in a big group, I'd just say, hey, look, you know, speak to them on an individual basis and I'd see them and I'd say this. Or maybe I'd talk to, uh, I'd enroll a louder teammate who often gets his voice heard and I'd be like, hey, you know what? Maybe we can do it this way. So I think women more often have to take that route mm -hmm. because of just, I mean, naturally just the way that we are. You know, not as loud, not as strong. But I also believe that we have an in immense, uh, you know, we can enroll people around us. Mm -hmm. And then that is just because, yeah, I mean, I don't think that men are greater than women or women are greater than men and women can live in a world without men. I think that, hey, we both, we, we need each other. Yeah. We need mo both gender genders and they both have their strengths. So that's what I would do. I'd enroll my team on a different level to say, hey, look, maybe this idea would work mm -hmm. too. And that's how I would actually get it through. Yeah, because I feel like this is something like even if you're not in the entertainment industry, yeah. you've kind of had the opinion where or you know that if you speak out, there's always a danger. Like there's always someone waiting to replace you. And they always threaten you with that as well. It's like mm -hmm. if you don't like it, there's always somebody who, who wants to like take your seat. And this is something that I struggled with uh, a lot as well. It's like, is it worth me speaking out or should I yeah. just like shut up and do the job that they want me to do? Yeah. Even though I think like there's a better way to do it or it's a it's a way that I'm not particularly happy with. How do you like talk to them without putting yourself and your position at risk, right? Well, so there are many occasions where I actually didn't. I chose not to speak up mm. because I felt that it wasn't worth it. Yeah. So I've got to make that conscious decision, Calista, to decide that, okay, what is worth my fight? Because not all fights are worth it. True. Sometimes, like a, let's just say a little change in the way that things are run, right? Yeah, it could cause a temporary, you know, inconvenience. Mm -hmm. But then would it really change the way I do things? Is it really against my values to do this? So I really need to sit down and ask because I don't believe that all fights are worth fighting. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are certain things that I have no control over. And if I go head on with this, I'm going to lose. I'm going to get tired. I'm going to get burnt out. So it's not that I don't care. But I think that for me, fighting and, you know, like, no, 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 I don't think that things should be done this way. I think we should do it this way. Sometimes I think that, you know, it's not worth the fight. So I'll mm. let them do it for the time being. If it doesn't work, okay, 
I don't know, so it's more of like a passive, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not really passive lay back, let's see. But let's take a different approach because that's how I know what my, you know, my, my strengths are. Mm-hmm. So I have chosen not to take on many fights and mm-hmm. not to stand up against a lot of things because I just felt that, okay, this is not that big. I mean, of course, if it's something that to do with discrimination or if I feel that, hey, no, you know what, this topic's a little bit sexist or, oh, you know, maybe I'm scared that we may offend certain people, uh, then when I speak up. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things that I decide that, okay, I'm just going to let it slide. That's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you as well. Mm-hmm. You are not afraid to speak your mind and, well, you have a lot heavier topics than I do on radio, right? <laughs> have you ever worried about saying the wrong thing and have you ever like gotten like flack for saying something on the radio or something on your social media that people kind of got offended by on my social media no because i very i I choose what i say because i know that because i've had friends do this where they say something you know slightly wrong Mm -hmm. netizens go go against them and sometimes there's no fighting with the netizens Mm. i can't control that so I control what messages I put out there. So I still do speak about really, really strong things, but I'll just make sure that it's easily understood and it's not easily misconstrued. On radio, thankfully, I am the voice of reason so many a times that, you know, I, I can take the safer route in that sense. But I haven't, thankfully, gotten myself into like really big trouble because of what I said. Because honestly, we've got compliance. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to be really, really big, honestly, Calista, we, we call Razlan. He's the guy who's, <laughs> who's handling our compliance. I'm like, hey, Razlan, can we talk about this? Can we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. We like you said, we do talk about heavier things, but also we've got to remind ourselves that we're also infotainment. So yeah, mm. we can give you information, but it's also got to be entertaining. So we always try and keep it, you know, light. keep it light. Mm. Yeah. So no, thankfully, no, I haven't gotten into trouble. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I always think that, especially when it comes to my social media, I always sometimes think that I should take a, a stronger stand. Sometimes I do think that, Calista. Mm. I do think like, I should speak up against this. I really should. But again, it's down to if you want the freedom of speech and say whatever you want, you've got to be perfectly okay with people telling you and giving mm-hmm. you feedback, however they want to say it. You can't say, I have my right to say this and you don't have the right to disagree. Everybody has a right. Yeah. So sometimes I do make that conscious decision to say, do I have the energy for this today? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, la, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think even if you're not a public figure in 2022, it's really hard, right? Like, everybody has different opinions on all different subjects. But it's like, if you put your opinion out there, someone mm-hmm. is going to come and, like, pick a fight. And again, it's all luck. Is this going to be picked up and people are going to, like, you know, like, make it a big thing? Or is someone just going to be like, nah, I don't agree, but whatever. Like, it's a risk that we it take, is. I think. And anybody who has social media, I don't think that's a good thing. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I feel even for myself, there's things I just choose not to talk about online. Yeah. And it's a lot of, like, the serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Because also, I've noticed there's a, there's a trend, there's a pattern. Like, if you speak out against this... Mm-hmm. The next time something happens, people are going to get, okay, why do you speak that about that, but you don't speak about this? And it's yeah. like, your entire life is going to, because there's issues going on every single day, right? Mm-hmm. If you just talk about those things every single day, like, you're going to be so tired. And yeah. like, doom scrolling is a thing. <laughs> I hate that these things are happening in the world, but I don't want to know at this moment because I no, need to take so care true. of myself, you know? That is so true, Calista. I actually had to stop watching the news for a while because it just made me so depressed. Yes. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad I didn't pursue journalism. I actually wanted to do broadcast journalism. I had, I was going to do my master's before I got pregnant with baby number one. 
uh, and then you know I, I had imagined my you know a career in like BBC or Al Jazeera and then I really looked up to people like Christian Amanpour and Anderson Cooper and I'm going to do all of this every time I tried to do my research and watch news I thought I didn't have you know they've you got to have like a really strong or maybe just compartmentalize a lot better and I found myself yeah. struggling to do that so I agree and yeah there are tons of things that are happening in the world that are not fair so I guess we just have to pick and choose yeah. and it's true you got to set yourself boundaries you know mm-hmm. you're not a social commentator and I'm not a social commentator I'm not a you know an expert in a certain field mm-hmm. so you know I sometimes I choose not to yeah. you know make statements about certain things because yeah you got to guard your energy you mm-hmm. know and in my case it's you know I I I I'm busy at work and then as soon as I get home I still have work to do on top of that I've got two young kids mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it <laughs> it's setting boundaries <laughs> I really got to so that, that's why people complain Aisha never responds to her messages after work because I'm so busy doing other things so I'm like oops so sorry yeah. all my brain cells have been allocated <laughs> yeah, that's also a thing, right? Like being in radio, then oh, it's it must be nice. You just work from six to ten a.m. and that's no. it. Six to ten a.m. on the air, mm-hmm. but what about everything else that happens behind the scenes? Like, there's so many other things, and I think especially again in 2022, you can't just be a radio announcer. No, you, can't you can't just be a host. There's you have to deal with social media. You have to do events. You have to do you know other appearances somewhere else. You have to constantly be working on something because at the end of the day something that you mentioned is there needs to be an exit plan mm-hmm. which uh, I have definitely not figured out no I haven't either <laughs> I haven't either Calista <laughs> I'm to do nothing can that be an exit plan mm. it's I guess what our parents I don't know about your parents but it's what my parents used to say yeah you can enjoy your job and have all the fun and everything but you have to choose between stability and like passion and unfortunately that kind of still is the case I, I don't feel like it's as bad as it used to be mm-hmm. for our parents generation Like it's like you have a stable job or you don't, you know, Mm -hmm. but like there is a very thin line between the both. There is. But at the same time, I think that so there are pros and cons that come Mm -hmm. with stability and freedom. Mm -hmm. So those are the two, stability and freedom. So freedom, um, maybe if you choose to do work and you follow your passion and you control your time, you also control your paycheck being mm-hmm. like freelance so there are months that you do good there are months that you don't do don't mm. do too good but i like that sense of control i'm not one to chase stability mm. to me same even this job was like what you you expect me to come to work monday to friday it felt like a full time commitment and it is yeah and it is because when you go home you're not done you're constantly in every conversation that you have, I'm sure you do this too, Kalista, right? Every conversation you go, you're like, ooh, that's a topic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything <laughs> ooh, is content. <laughs> right? Ooh, I could do something about that. Right? So you're constantly thinking of what to do, what should be your next social media post, or how do you write this script and all that. So, I mean, but back to that, you know, stability and freedom. So my parents were very much, I mean, my father, he studied pharmacy, chemistry, and he became a pharmacist. Okay. Uh, My mom was a nurse and then ran her own childcare center. But then they were very relaxed in the sense that they allowed us to do whatever we wanted to do. I think I'm the only one who has a university degree amongst the three of us. Yeah, Um, because you come from a very entertainment-based 
family, but like yeah. siblings wise, not 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 like it it didn't pass down. No, it didn't. Yeah. So my older brother, um, he was an actor and a host, and then he found his passion in speaking. So over the past a few years, that he discovered that okay, you know what, he loves speaking. He and he became an investor. My younger brother is behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. yeah, he does a little bit of videos here and there, but he's actually a director and a producer. So my parents pretty much gave us that freedom to pursue whatever that we wanted. And for some reason, yeah, all three of us ended up in the entertainment industry. It's so crazy. <laughs> and then what do you hope for your kids? I actually want them to not be in this industry. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of parents seem to say the same thing. Uh-huh. However... I still want them to have that creativity. So now the plus side of being freelance is that you're constantly looking for opportunities. Mm -hmm. So you learn to be independent. You learn to be self-reliant, self-motivated, because if you don't work, you don't eat. You don't get a paycheck at the end of the Mm -hmm. month, right? So those are values that I I love Mm -hmm. being, you know, a freelancer. And I want my kids to have that. However, at the same time, I really want them to study somewhat of a niche or like uh, I would love it if either one of them ended up in one of the STEM um, industries, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. I make sure that they learn coding, that this is a must. Um, they will have writing skills. So um, being able to write is very important. And of course, language Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I I want them to not just have a a desk job and that's that. So let's just say, so the older one said she's she's very interested and she wants to see if she can study law. Like, okay, fine. Um, But let's look into the possibilities of computer, computer learning and AI and all that. That, you know, to come up with a contract, you don't need a lawyer anymore. You can just actually, you know, a system has been created and it's got like formulas and all that. And next, you know, you just fill in a few keywords and you've got your contract. So, I mean, it, there is a possibility that um, so a lot of the traditional jobs won't be around anymore, right? Will oh, be obsolete. Yeah. So, okay, great. If you want to do law, but let's put in coding. Let's put in. So, how do you create things? So, I still want them to have that that freedom and that creativity to think of what kind of a career. However, at the same time, I do want them to study something quite substantial that if anything, they can fall back on. I think that's something like nowadays, especially and even even when I started, it's like, no, we want to we wanna just start on the the, the, the glamour, you know, the, the fun part. We don't yeah. want to like deal with the, the back end stuff, but it is important. Like we were saying, like you need a exit plan. And this is an industry where I think your talent is very important, but you also rely a lot on luck. That's true. And it being in the right place at the right time. Yes. So my daughter, although she did say my older one, so even though she did say that, Ma, I want to study law. She also said, like, Mama, how do I become famous? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, baby, why do you want to be famous? Tell me why. What's the, what's the reason for this? And then she said, oh, no, I just, it looks fun what you do. So... I always think this, and I have been asked this, is like, okay, what kind of advice would you give somebody who wants to join this industry? And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we were talking about degrees, right? And Mm -hmm. finding areas of specialty, because that's exactly what I would say. Go get your area of specialty, even if it's like biology, even if it's studying, you know, a certain type of Amazonian frog or, 
you know, finance. Let that be your niche, especially if those who want to be content creators, let that be your content. Because mm. people, you're going to find a viewers who are going to fall in love with your passion for frogs. Or if you just made personal accounting really, really easy and you created content that was bite-sized and applicable for daily use for everybody, that will be useful too. But you have a niche. Because mm. I think Gone With The Day, Callista, where I need a host and the requirement was you can speak well and that was it. Yeah. And you just regurgitated just like what I did mm. for my first job, right? Regurgitated whichever script that was given your way. So let's just say if, for instance, if I could rewrite that whole part of my life, what if I was the Pilates expert and I could really share my expertise? So I think that is the future of content creation. And if if my kid wants to go into it, I'll be like, okay, great. If you want to study law, okay, wonderful. How can you create content around that? Because there's this girl on TikTok who I absolutely love, Rina Lum. And she is a lawyer by profession. But what she does is she just takes whatever cases that are happening here in Malaysia, international also, break it down, make it, mm-hmm. you know, in layman terms. How do, how do you make it more understandable? So that oh, kind of I thing. I was going to say, like, yeah, if she wants to study law and be famous, like, especially after the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case, <laughs> there are so many lawyers that are on TikTok yeah. that are just breaking it down. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to watch an entire trial. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with this other trial, but they can make it bite-sized content. And I get the information I need. Like I don't need all the nitty gritty details because mm. I'm not I don't anybody have time in law. For that. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I probably wouldn't understand it anyway. Yeah, but everybody needs someone like that mm-hmm. in every profession, mm-hmm. and that's how you do it. You know, yeah. like nowadays, like anything can go. It's so different. Like, and people don't kind of look down on people who create content anymore. I feel like the beginning of social media. It's like, ugh, why do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, like we're we're professionals. We don't we don't do this kiddie stuff or we don't do this for the fame. But now everyone's like, no, like people need to know you're teaching someone. It's it's education. Yeah. And so many people learn from TikTok right. as opposed to anything else anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think it's taken over. It's the number one source of information. But it all starts with an area of expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, find your niche and then put it out there. And then yeah. You know, as a byproduct, you can become famous and an influencer, a content creator, whatever kids are calling it nowadays. Yeah. But speaking of that, like, do you find that having to deal with so many of these things at the same time, like, because you were talking about burnout earlier on, mm-hmm. compared to, because when you, you first started hosting and everything, obviously TikTok wasn't a thing because it's like two years ago, but like social media also wasn't like the main focus. Now even for like our radio job we're told like no it's really important like you have to create content every single day do you find it easier to do content or do you kind of miss that you could focus on one thing and get really good at that instead of having to be semi good at everything instead um i have a confession Callista. i am absolutely horrible on social media absolutely horrible i can go weeks without posting not because I don't want to, not because I don't see the value in it. And mm-hmm. I really do. And I agree. As an on-air personality, be it okay, radio or TV or whatever, it's really nice to have your social media mm-hmm. as a sort of window to your life. This is the behind the scenes. But every time I look at my timeline and I start overthinking and I start panicking and then I don't know and then who's going to care no one's going to know who cares if you've gone on holiday Aisha and then I have holiday pictures from two years ago that I, I took and I wanted to post and I never did so what I can do a photo dump now do I do throwback to 
that time two years ago when I went on holiday how many more posts like that can I do and it's an area that I read I would really like to work on mm-hmm. I no matter how many training workshops that I'm sent to I know the number one thing is consistency yeah. and that's what I don't have so yeah <laughs> uh, I am finding that very hard as well I feel like During the pandemic, I went overboard. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so, like, gung-ho about it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I experienced burnout. In 2021, I definitely experienced burnout. And then I stopped posting. <laughs> it was like every single day on every single platform I was posting. And then all of a sudden, wow. it was like nothing for, like, weeks. And I feel like it's hard to kind of get back into that rhythm. Like, I'll start posting again, then I'll forget. Mm. So it's something that is important. Like nowadays, especially, I mean, we went through a phase where, remember that news where directors were like, oh, if you don't have a million followers, you can't star in my drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that that's how important social media has become to like everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you've already created a name for yourself, you know, like you, you've been able to diversify throughout. And I've, I, I feel like you, you definitely no longer have anything to prove. But when you're new in the industry, it's like, con- it's, it's a constant question. Like you constantly get asked about it. Like, yeah, but. Why should I take you instead of this person who has like a hundred thousand more followers on TikTok? You know. Yeah, I know. I think that's going to be a big problem for directors and producers if they're constantly taking that as a measure of comparison. Because I mean, how many amazing actors do you yeah. know who don't even have a social media page? There are so many, and so what does that make them less of a talent? Mm-hmm. Than anybody else, of course, lah. Like, you will have like an award-winning, critically acclaimed film, and then you will have a film that's a box office. Yeah, it'll be a hit, but then you know it'll be the kind of movie that people would say, "Yeah, just go there and just watch it for fun." Mm-hmm. You know, don't expect much. So I'm right now. I'm feeling very grateful to have entered this industry 20 years ago without social media, because as stressed and as overworked or, or as overwhelmed or burnt out as I may feel. You know, having to juggle this job and then social media and everything in between. That I really don't know how the younger kids do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're insanely creative and innovative to come up with a lot of stuff. At the same time, you know, if they've got like a full time job, especially if they're in the industry and they're and they're like, you know, still trying to create a name for themselves. And at the same time, there's the content and all that. Because I wouldn't know if I had joined today, Callista, I probably would have left, given up, quit, and gone back to PR. <laughs> I don't think, yeah. honestly, I really don't know how I would have done it in today's climate line. That sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I feel. Like we've done two announcer searches on hits, right? Mm-hmm. And every time we do, I'm just like, you know, this is why I never joined an announcer search. I really don't think like I would even make it to like the top three, top five if I had to join like these things because like a lot of the things that they have to do is things that we've had to learn over time mm-hmm. and they're just thrown into like okay there's 10 of you let's see who can do all of these the best wow and it's it's not easy and it's I think it's kind of when you join a competition the pressure is so much different from what we have to do on a daily basis yeah But because that's the only way you can tell in these two weeks, you have to like be able to show everything you've got. And I, I really admire like all the people that have joined all the announcers, such as like even from back in the day. Mm-hmm. But now you're doing it in front of a lot more people, you wow. know, like everyone and everybody can have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Like before I joined Hits, I know there was like a lot of announcer searches. It's not really on social media. So even if people have something to say, they can't like type it on the Internet. 
Right. Back back then, <laughs> maximum, you'd have forums maybe, right? Yeah. Yeah, you don't have social media where they'd actually access your, you know, drop you a DM and tell them how much they hate you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So not only are you stressed because you have to like give everything you have, mm-hmm. you're also stressed because now everyone's judging you on the yeah. way. And it's people who don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And it's maybe people who just don't like you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, what's that saying? Like, you can be the ripest peach, but there's still going to be someone who doesn't like peaches. Like, you have to deal with all of that at the same time yeah and i really don't know how they do it like i if i know i'm doing something i just stay out of the comments because i just don't want to know <laughs> yeah me too they're a different breed of people honestly <laughs> you know the kids who can really just put themselves out there they're so brave so i think this is where the generational gap comes in la. i think so we still look at social media and we still see it as okay it's something else that i have to do so it's separate from me right? On life online. But compare us to our parents, right? So we grew up, we already knew, we already had computers and we grew up, we already knew how to handle phones. Now our parents, you know, they're still struggling with Mm -hmm. it, right? Until today, even though it's been around for so long, for 20 years, uh, 30 years, they still struggle with it. So I think it's with us because we don't see it as part of us. It's not an extension of us. Mm -hmm. However, the younger kids, I think they do. They see the other younger generation. All right, so maybe the younger millennials, uh, I know you're young too, okay? You're not as young as me. So when I say you and me and I put us in the same category, I'm not saying that you're old like me, okay? <laughs> but I know you handle it better yeah. than I do. But <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that they, younger millennials, Gen Zers, so they already have that understanding that this social media is part of me mm-hmm. and my social media account is a platform where people all over could say what they want to say about me. So when we were kids, we were in school, we had to deal with bullying. Now they deal with cyberbullying, mm-hmm. which is horrible. Yeah, because you can't escape it. You can't, you know. And that is something that they learn to deal with. Mm. And that makes them stronger, more thicker skin, more mm-hmm. resilient, whatever you may want to call it. So that's why like, I think we look at look in awe of this younger generation. Like, how do you guys do it? How do you guys not care? Like that girl, um, Ayn, Nur Ayn, who is now, I think she's 19 now. Yeah. But you know when she was in school? I think last year, so 18. And then, you know, at 18. And I imagine myself at 18 having... F- to face that kind of, you know, attention and mm. being barraged like that. I would have been driven to my my limit. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I could handle it even no. today. Like, that's one of the things that terrifies me. Like, if anything happens online. Like, it's, to me, that is my complete nightmare. It is, right. And I feel like, unfortunately, that kind of changes how you are as a person. Because maybe you'd want to champion different things. Like for me, like I definitely have opinions about different subjects and different topics that happen, but I will choose not to say it. Mm-hmm. just because I know I cannot handle that kind of online fighting because no matter which side you're on there's going to be a, an opposite side right Yeah. so I just choose not to and then yeah. people ask me all the time oh like all you do is talk about entertainment stuff like there's so many other things happening in the world yes because I know I'm not the person to do that mm-hmm. everybody has a place and everybody you know has strengths and weaknesses and that is not where I would be able to thrive Yeah. you yeah. know and younger kids nowadays I feel like they have no choice Mm-hmm. But to learn how to be be that person. Mm-hmm. And is it good or bad? I guess we'll find out in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? The effects of social media and, uh, on adults in about 10 years' time. But, you know, I agree with you. I, too, have found myself, you know, deleting posts. It's like I'm already typing something because I feel like so angry about something that's going on, right? And that's the sad thing, yeah? You put yourself out there and you are. You put a target on your face, mm-hmm. on your head. Are you ready or prepared 
to face that whatever backlash. And me too, you know, I'm very sensitive also, you know, Calista. <laughs> you know, I would be like, I would take things personally, even though I try to be like, no, Aisha, you know, these things don't affect you, you know, rise above. But I would. I remember my first negative comment on social media. I cried for a week, girl, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I get it. So I, so yeah, I do. I do make decisions like that. So that's why I, I said earlier, you know, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I wish I could or I did speak more passionately about certain things. But yeah. It's hard, right? Being sensitive and being in the public eye. Like for me, it's like, you already know, like I said, you already know there are going to be people who like you and people who don't. Yeah. But like when you find out that someone doesn't like you, it's like, but why? What did I do to you? Like, you don't know me. <laughs> yeah. But I, I thought like everything was cool, you know, like Mm-mm. this wasn't a serious topic, but it's always going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's maybe another reason why I choose not to. I've reduced my presence on social media. And one thing I'm doing nowadays is I just... Ignore. I just ignore. I think that's like a byproduct of getting to my 40s. Mm. So I'm like, you know what? I don't have the time nor energy. And yes, there are a lot more important things than caring for you. And another thing that really helps me as I go along is um, when people are triggered by what you say and they lash out Mm. at you, it's not because of you. It's because of them. Because whatever you spoke about or however you presented yourself or showed up reminded them of something that they A, didn't want to be or they are and they're trying to deny. So that's why it gets that visceral response from them and they like they lash out because it reminds of something about them. So that's why I tell myself too that, okay, you know what? This person is, is um, you know, talking about uh, or is body shaming because they feel... A certain way about their body so mm. I try and remind myself that you know so that it really isn't about me so that's how I try and build this like force field around me so that, that sense. to remind and to protect protect my sensitive heart that would be crying <laughs> for a week right <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I do it la. before we and I, I know we like talked a lot we've probably gone like in all different directions <laughs> but there's always just so much to talk about one of the things like earlier on when I said I had a lot of questions about you said you tried to be louder and you tried to be funnier. So are you naturally funny? Because that's something I, I struggle with. Like everyone's mm. like, oh, but to be in the entertainment industry, you have to be funny. You know, people like funny. But I find like my humor is not necessarily the humor like people think of. Like you're not like a comedy artist. You know what I mean? Like, did you struggle with that? Especially because your co-hosts are always like... Oh my God, they're so funny. <laughs> How do you beat that, right? So that's what I struggled with uh. in the beginning. What I did before I joined radio was, yeah, I was on television, but I was on a morning talk show and we interviewed people about certain things and it did get quite serious sometimes. I, and then I imagined myself going into that direction, not joining radio. I never thought I would. But then it came along and I was like, okay, you know what? I, my show just got cancelled and, you know, I think I'm not ready for an early retirement, so I'll, I'll give it a try. So, yes, in the beginning, I don't think I thought I was that funny, mm-hmm. you know? very intense growing up but at the same time I did have a goofy side which I had to learn to harness because just like you my <laughs> sense of humor was a bit like out there like oh god you're so weird that kind of thing like that was funny creak creak kind of thing but I guess it was just learning to harness it and I think like they say wit and in and, human and it takes practice and it really helped just um, being able to practice it every single day. Mm -hmm. So I I still don't think I'm funny, but I've had friends, and one of my friends who's a comedian said, actually, you're funny, you know. Am I really? 
and to have that come from you, thank you so much. So initially, I first thought that I was just the voice of reason on the show, right? So I was the one who was going to balance, and if somebody make made a joke out of hand, I'd bring it back and like, oh no, he didn't mean it like that. That kind of a voice.、Mm-hmm. But in the past, like three, four years, I think my humor just came in a different form. I wasn't the funny punchline kind of person, but I was more of funny, snarky, make fun of you kind of person. It was like in the in the snide remarks in between, catching people off guard. So I just started to what I'd think in my head, and that's what I'd say. So I'm like, oh yeah, right. Like you think that. Oh, and then I'd actually say that. So because we all have, we're all funny, and we're all. But sometimes we say it in our head, and we discredit that before it even、mm-hmm. gets a chance to come out. Right. So my journey, my transition was whatever I was saying, I'd say it because. How it happened was we'd record a break, and then、um, you know a little interaction happens, and we laugh, laugh, laugh. And then after that break, I'd be like, "Oh, you know what would be really funny if this and this and that and that." And they looked at me like, "Hey, Aisha, that's funny. Why didn't you say it? Because I didn't think it was funny enough."、Mm. You know? Yeah. And so I just learned to just say it. And if it's not funny, it's not funny, lah. And then、yeah. you know, because you've, you've got next break, and that's a new next content, and that's something new, and that's something new, and you know, no one's gonna remember the lame joke you did two weeks ago. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I remember when I first started, like I always got the question, but why don't you insert like a joke here? But I'm I cannot for the life of me tell a joke joke. <laughs> like it's just gonna be like okay, like okay. Yeah, I know that feeling. Punchline, you know, like、mm-hmm. but yeah, like you, I'll like make a snide remark or I'll like make fun of you、mm-hmm. and. Like that's when people laugh. So、mm-hmm. I guess it took me a long time as well to just accept that humor is so different for everybody. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, I'm still trying to accept it properly. I guess, like you know, you. One of the things I think、um, everybody who starts has to learn is everybody's different.、Mm-hmm. I'm good in my own way,、Absolutely. and an- anybody who joins in will be completely different from us. You can't mold them to be exactly the same. And if you fail at this one thing, you're not as good as this one thing. You're you're just like a failure. You know, you don't belong in this industry. That took me the longest time. Yeah. To like be able to get over, and I, I it still, it still pops up. Like、mm-hmm. imposter syndrome is a thing, right? Oh like, yeah, it is. It is very all, true. All the time.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I face imposter. I, I, I go through that too. Imposter syndrome. So I always think of like you know when you guys do your show, right? And it's just you. I never think that I could do that because it's just me. Nobody would want to listen to just me because. It's like you know because I've got RD and Prem and I've got these guys to bounce off. But if it's just me, I'm boring. I'm dry. No one's gonna. No one's gonna enjoy that. So that's why I think all the time when I hear you guys. So people always ask me. So Aisha, if you're not gonna do morning anymore, are you still gonna do radio? And I always say no, because I can't imagine myself doing a show alone. I guess who's gonna listen? Right. I just realized you you never did it.、No. You went straight into mornings.、Mm, I did because I came from like a talk show background. I've always had co-hosts and things like that. So you're right. Everybody has their own brand of humor,、mm-hmm. and it's just you know it's just realizing that yeah, that's funny too. Those snide remarks,、mm-hmm. those you know those off the cuff comments, those comebacks. That's funny. So you don't always have to be the one. Ha 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 ha! That was so funny. <laughs> All right, let's get out. We gotta hide. Let's go out. You know, I struggled with that for the first three years, and yeah, I mean, even even all the stand-up comedians, you know,、mm-hmm. some may have、um, a writer and they've got their script prepared and then they memorize it and internalize it. Some work better when they can see their crowd and they, you know, just bounce off and make fun of their crowd. So it's the same. It's the same、oh, with us too. Also, nightmare-inducing like stand-up comedy. I remember when I first joined the first year. 
they were like, oh, every announcer has to go through this. We're going to send you to do a five-minute stand-up. I was like, die. I was literally dying. That's I was a like, nightmare you know of mine too. I will fly home now. <laughs> Imagine I'll just stand up there and just like immediately like sink through the floor. <laughs> I have actually done that. So we did this campaign which we call the Blackout Challenge. Okay. On, on our mix, right? A couple of years ago. So Blackout Challenge is, ooh, the producer, our producer and our boss was so bad. They would pay attention to all the things. So they listen to all the things like, what don't you like to do? So they pick you up from home or wherever you are. They put on a blindfold and then they kind of drop you off somewhere and open up the blindfold. I was on the stage at a comedy club for a five minute stand up set. Wait, but you didn't even have time to prepare? No. So what did you say? It's all a blur. You can't even remember. It's just like a verbal diarrhea. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was me talking for five minutes, just hoping that something there was funny. Okay, la, you know, I, I managed to get them to laugh just like once or twice. <laughs> oh, God. It's a nightmare. It still is a nightmare. And never will I ever do anything like that ever again. Oh, my God. So much respect for people who can yeah, do that. Definitely a lot of respect for stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most vulnerable place that you could be, right? Because... Yeah. You really do rely on people's reaction. You do. And if they're not enjoying you, if they don't think you're funny, you, you can see it back <laughs> immediately. Instantaneous. And you have to switch gears immediately. It's right? like, I, 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 I don't know. No, 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 no. I mean, I love expanding my boundaries at the same time. I do know I'm happy here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, we can push a little bit. Let's not go too far. Yeah. But okay, I mean, we've talked for so long. Before I let you go, though. I'm enjoying this. I know, I know. There's so much more I want to talk to you about. (laughs) Part two. (laughs) It might have to happen. But usually I ask for advice before my guest leaves. Mm. And usually I ask about, like, advice for content creators because, of course, the C-word is about creating content. But I think as a whole... uh, if people want to be in this industry as a whole, what would your advice be? Because I think you are probably the best person to give advice on that. Okay, looking at the scene now. Yeah, it does help to have a strong online presence. Mm. Honestly, if you want to join now, people will immediately, the first thing they do when they hear your name is they're going to search for you on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever. So, <laughs> You people for you and I, I mean, like I said, like we're glad we're not joining the industry now. So, yes, I mean, it doesn't have to be a million before you get a deal, but it's good if you had a niche or a following. Mm. If you don't, that's fine. But find out what areas, like I mentioned earlier, this niche of yours. So, if there is an area, and this is mainly for your social media, lah, you know, if it's a certain type of content that you do, so you do reaction videos, or if you speak about, life hacks and that works find that niche and it will help but the biggest advice I would give somebody if they want to enter this industry right now is don't sit and wait until you are discovered Mm -hmm. you know no one's gonna suddenly say like oh my gosh you're amazing why don't you become a superstar singer and that's it right you have many opportunities to create that for yourself Mm -hmm. if you want something shorter tiktok it's not all dance videos you've got some really serious stuff so yeah even if you are an aspiring actor Mm -hmm. you know act out your favorite roles uh from a movie if you're a writer Mm -hmm rewrite scripts from iconic parts if you're a producer or if you're a composer there are so many things that you can do Mm -hmm. so don't wait for the opportunity to come to you just do it and don't be like me be consistent 
in getting your stuff out there. Be consistent. (laughs) Very important. So I guess at the end of the day, it's all about like, Make that video, do it that TikTok, go for that casting, you know, yeah, like just go for yeah. it, right? And you know, try whatever opportunity that comes your way. It's very funny because I'm giving this advice, which is completely opposite to what I did when I started. But that was a different time, mm-hmm. completely different time. So we can't have that mentality and that's the way that it's done. Nowadays, you know what? If you want to stream you playing Roblox, go ahead. That's an opportunity to make money. That's an opportunity to, you know, if you've developed your own game, if you want to go into gaming, uh, you know, developer. Dude, there's so many things that you can do and put yourself out there. So just look at it as your online CV. Yeah. Okay. All right, one more question. Okay, sure. So you've done so many things. You've been on the Mixed Breakfast for, you said, eight years, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to do or are planning to do? I would very much like to produce. I want to produce documentaries. And this is something that I've been thinking about for so long. But, you know, that little imposter syndrome, that little voice inside my head is, Aisha, you're not smart enough. You've been doing entertainment for 20 years. I mean, do you really know what's going on in the industry to put your voice out there? There There's so many people. But then I stop and then I think of my own advice. (laughs) You know, so just be consistent. So what if it's dumb? Just put it out there. But yeah, so that's one thing I would really like to do. You know, maybe when my days with radio is over, I still love content creation. I still love telling stories. I still love all of that. But I don't want to be the person in front of the camera for much longer. You want to go behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. I'd love to work with my younger brother. So he's a brilliant producer. So I get him to EP and direct. Actually, he doesn't need to direct. If he EPs it, you know, I would love the chance to work with Adam. So we've been talking about it, but he lives in a different country, mm-hmm. different time zones. I've also got so much on my plate right now. I don't have the bandwidth. But maybe, yeah, maybe when radio's over, I'd love to do that. Mm, that would be very interesting and a very different pace, I think. Yeah, yeah. And all you can do is try, right? If it doesn't work out, there's always other things uh, to yeah. do. <laughs> it's a flop, right? If it's a flop, then it's all right. So put it up on, you know, on 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 YouTube, and maybe if it's so bad, it will become good. <laughs> I don't believe your brother would let you put out anything bad anyway. I know. So. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm riding on his coattails. That's he, why I he'd do be like, "No, <laughs> fix it." <laughs> you know what? I could see it. Huh. I could actually see it. I like that. Executive producer, I should see clear. I love that. that. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. You've given me the confidence. Okay, okay. Maybe I'll start penning down some ideas after this. Also, I want to say maybe you should start your own podcast, you know, but... I know! Kalisa, there's another (laughs) thing I want to do! Yeah. Again, it's that whole, who's going to listen to me? No one's going to be interested in me. Every time I put out an episode, I have the same thoughts. So, and this is season four. (laughs) There you go. You know, we're we're still above water. It's fine. I know. (laughs) For somebody who, like you said, you've faced imposter syndrome. I just want to say that I have, you know, seen you do your things. I've seen you, you know, you're doing your podcast. I think you're an insanely hardworking person, Callista. And, you know, I aspire to be, you know, just a little bit like you, you know, and I would be happy to, you know, you have you have talent and you have that drive. And I think that is what is the secret sauce to success. It's that grit. In the end of the day, 100 million followers on Instagram. And, you know, in 10 years time, I think the people who are still around are those who really just put themselves out there Mm -hmm. like you've been doing. Well done. It is something that I think you, you constantly need to work at. But I think it's also because when you find something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy, like everyone says, oh, you're always working. But a lot of times it doesn't feel like work. Mm hmm. 
you get those burnt out periods, but I feel like I enjoy doing it. I can't yeah. imagine doing anything else with my time, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? So, yeah, I think I think that's something like biggest piece of advice I always give people is find something that you love. There you go. Yeah. Mhm. That's just it. Well, perfect note to end it on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kalista. Thank you so much for joining me, Aisha. The C word with Kalista.